A life of prayer shows us the way to what we need and harmonizes the desires of everyone in the group. It is the life of prayer that discovers a space in which all can live. It is the life of prayer that discovers a space in which all can live. This quote by Dallas Willard invites us into this phrase of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the time in the Lord's Prayer in which Jesus' focus changes from God and honoring God and recognizing God to a prayer for the world, a prayer of what Jesus wants to see happen in the world. And we've already seen that, that Jesus' vision of the spiritual life is a paradox, is to live in the both and rather than the e either or. It's to live in that space, as Richard Rohr says, where everything belongs. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is a radical, incredible prayer. Because we are asking for, for things that don't seem possible, for things like a space in which all can live. And yet to pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is not just to say, all right, God, come do this for us, but is also to say, I am willing to participate in this, to participate in this life of paradox, to give up what I need to give up in order to live in the both and. Kingdom is a weird word for us in these days. We don't use it very often feels really antiquated, but when Jesus was speaking it, there were kings who had doms, who had dominions, domains, and they were a big threat. They defined everything in your life. Who won, who lost, who was in, who was out. In a kingdom, you are either with us or you're against us. If ever there was an either or world, it was a kingdom. But maybe it's not so antiquated after all. We live in a world where national identity is important. We live in a world where multinational corporations and treaties and allegiances and our, our um, worshiping of the almighty dollar or whatever your currency of choice is, where that can become our defining reality, can become what rules our life. There's also the kingdoms that we live by that are, that are attitudes and ways of being. There's, there's things like the kingdom of consumerism this, that says that my happiness depends on how big my house is, how fast my car is, how full my bank account is. That kingdom of consumerism does pacify us, doesn't it? It gives us a quick fix until that runs out and then we need another one. There's the kingdom of nationalism or tribalism, which demands that we prioritize our interests over the interests of others. That our nation or our tribe or our people or our family are the most important thing. The problem with nationalism and 
tribalism is that you stop seeing other people and you stop seeing people outside of your circle as human beings and eventually you start seeing them as enemies. Another kingdom that's emerged in the last 20 years or so in our nation in particular is this kingdom of security. I really saw this happen after 9-11. Again, this, this fear, kingdom driven by fear and this desire to stay safe and this idea that we have to pick between being safe or compassionate. This kingdom of security, however, blinds us with fear into thinking that everything is an either or choice. Now there's no doubt that in the last four months or so, we've seen a collapsing of a lot of these kingdoms. We've seen they only take us so far. We've seen that in many ways we must join together and we must find a way for the both and in order to move forward as a country and as a global community and as com small individual communities. And Jesus says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He is making a radical and political statement. In the Roman Empire in which he was speaking, there was no other kingdom. To ask for another kingdom was an act of rebellion. And so when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, I wonder, are we recognizing how radical that invitation is? How it may call us out from some of our most dearly held allegiances into the allegiance of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is, is always a reality of paradox. It's always holding two seemingly opposite ideas or opposite interests at the same time. The kingdom of God is means to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, even as you are willing to leave your mother and father for a greater purpose. The kingdom of God is abundant life and it is being willing to lose your life in order to find it. The kingdom of God is a place where the yoke is easy and the burden is light and at the same time to enter through the narrow gate. The kingdom of God is a place in which God is revealed in Jesus Christ and at the same time we become open to the universal and unconditional love of God for everyone, always. The kingdom is a place of paradox, of both and, of the spaciousness that we find when we refuse to be pacified, when we refuse easy answers and seek only the nourishment of God's life within us. The kingdom of God is a place of possibilities, a place that, that we see things become possible that can only happen when we are willing to hold two seemingly opposite ideas together. So what a powerful prayer to pray. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Both and may seem innocuous and easy, but it is radical and potentially world-changing. 
both and this kingdom refuses to buy what they have to sell. It refuses to settle for easy answers. It refuses to make enemies. It refuses to say one life is more valuable than another. If you think both and and living in paradox is easy, then I don't think you've really tried it. Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of a Mennonite missionary and pastor named Chester Wenger. Chester had started the largest Mennonite church in the world in Ethiopia. He'd been a pastor and leader here in his denomination in the United States. Chester's church didn't allow for women to be ordained, but he always found a way to bring women into leadership. Chester was faithful to his church, but mostly to God. And so when Chester's son, Phil, was in college, he told his dad that he was attracted to men. In his relatively sheltered and secluded religious community, Chester had never really considered that this was a possibility. And in time, he watched with a broken heart as his son, Phil, was excommunicated from the Mennonite church. And then as Phil moved away from faith altogether. And then a few years later, Chester and his wife, Sarah Jane, rejoiced when Phil found a welcoming community in the Episcopal Church who embraced all of who he was and he returned to faith. Faith in God, the Bible, Christian community, and his family meant everything to Chester Wenger. But all of those allegiances were stretched to the seam, seams with his love for his son and his allegiance to the church. And it forced him into a seeming impossible position of either or. When it became legally possible for Phil and his partner to marry, Phil asked his dad to officiate at his wedding. Without hesitation, Chester said yes even though he knew it would cost him the ordination of the church that he loved. And so at 96 years old, after 68 years of being an ordained minister in the Mennonite church, Chester's organization, ordination was revoked. Chester then wrote an open letter to my beloved church. He filled it with scripture, filled it with love to the church who had raised him and given him a place to live out his faith, filled with respect for those who disagreed with him and filled with love for his son. He shared his story of reading scripture over and over for 35 years, of listening to the stories of his son and his son's gay friends, and of at last deciding that his faith led him to break church policy and officiate at his son's wedding. His letter ended like this. My dear companion of 70 years and I declare our enduring love for Lancaster Mennonite Conference, for the Mennonite Church, and for all God's people. We carry no bitterness or regret for our actions. Our hearts are filled with love for all. We pray that our love in family and church will bind us together in God's family, 
even when our understandings of God's will may differ. Christ's prayer for oneness in John 17 can be attained. Chester Wenger is a man who is firmly rooted in his allegiance to the kingdom of God. But more important than that, he made the decision he made is an allegiance that led him there. It's an allegiance which allowed him to say, I love God and I love the Bible and I love my son and I love my church and I refuse to live in an either or kingdom. May we also be so faithful and find that the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. The visible symbol of this prayer is the communion table at which we gather. We gather in that place of paradox. We gather in that place where a body broken and a life poured out becomes the nourishment for a new way of being, becomes a, an inner reality for us, becomes the strength by which we live our lives and we live our faith. Amen.